This is Zoe from Feminist Food Journal with another feminist food story. In the past century, 98% of Black agricultural landowners in the United States have been dispossessed of their holdings. They have lost altogether 12 million acres of agricultural land, with most of the losses occurring from the 1950s onwards. Between 1950 and 1975, more than half a million Black-owned farms across the country failed. According to an estimate by the Land Loss and Reparations Project, the dispossession of Black farmers in the American South alone has implied a loss of $250 to $350 billion in accumulated wealth and income for Black farmers and their communities. This systematic disconnection of Black people from the land occurred through a variety of means, which in the words of Atlantic writer Van R. Newkirk II, were sometimes legal, often coercive, in many cases legal and coercive, and occasionally violent. Those of you who have read or listened to Dr. Alice Ragland's piece, More Radical Than It May Seem, which was published as part of this Earth issue, will already know that these outcomes are the result of a long history of colonialism, slavery, and racist policymaking. Even after the end of sharecropping, the history of dispossessing African-American farmers continued Black farmers were excluded from land purchases by federal programs and policies. Their legal protections related to intergenerational property transfer were limited, and it remained harder for Black farmers to access the capital needed to maintain their businesses because of discriminatory lending practices. Combined with the fact that most farm subsidies have continued to go to white farmers, this means that access to agriculture within many Black communities in the U.S. is limited. According to analysis by NPR, even as recently as 2022, only 36% of Black farmers who applied for direct loans from the U.S. Department of Agriculture were approved, compared to 72% of white farmers who applied. This, despite the fact that direct loans are supposed to be the easiest type of USDA loan to acquire. They're meant for farmers who can't get credit elsewhere that can be used to buy land, farming equipment, or cover other operational costs needed to keep businesses alive. Enter Black Farmer Fund. The group of us started Black Farmer Fund because we looked at the wealth inequality that we saw, especially when it came to black farmers, in terms of their, the amount of land that they own, the amount of wealth that they have, and found out that there's so much disparities when it comes in, in, in inequality when it comes to wealth and when it comes to land access. The Black Farmer Fund, we are a nonprofit and a community-led investment fund that supports black food actors across the Northeast. So black farmers, herbalists, folks working in food distribution, the catering industry, really looking across the entire food system. And we started from conversations that were happening with two black farmers, Karen Washington and Olivia Watkins, who were personally frustrated with their own challenges, accessing capital that really served their needs. Uh, They started having these conversations in 2018, started expanding those conversations to incorporate the voices of different Black farmers in in New York. And that really led to the idea of creating something that was community-led, that really centered lived experiences of food actors and some of the different elements that need to to be present for them to really feel supported, and also the need for shifting power and putting power back in the hands of community when it comes to sovereignty and having decisions over funding and how funding is distributed. 
of speaking with two women involved in Black Farmer Fund about their work, about power in our food systems, about Black Farmer Fund's unique approach to community wealth building, and the complexities of cultivating land in a settler colonial context. Hi, I'm Melanie Allen. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the program director at Black Farmer Fund. I'm based in Brooklyn, and I've been really fortunate to be able to work for different types of initiatives and projects that facilitate non-extractive capital, technical assistance, and community networking for Black farmers, land stewards, herbalists, and food actors across the Northeast and also internationally. My name is Amanda David, and I am a community herbalist. Um, I am a land steward. I've kind of done all sorts of different pieces in the in the uh, land tending from migrant farm work to organic farming, and I've kind of landed on gardening as um, my like true heart song and community gardening. Um, to be more specific, I am a single mother to three kids. And I have been super, super lucky to be um, a part of the Black Farmer Fund, which has been amazing and life-changing and excited that we get to chat about that today. I think that's all I'll say. Is that enough? Is that good? How did I get involved? Uh, yeah, my family, my family is from Jamaica and both my grandparents grew up in the country, so grew up in rural environments. I've heard stories of my great-grandfather being the, the butcher of the community but both my grandparents were also sent to Kingston, the capital, in their teenage years to pursue schooling and further education, which is what a lot of families at that time were doing, um, this like urban migration, this removal, this disconnect from the land. Even though they were in pretty urban environments for most of their adulthood, they always found ways to still stay connected. So I spent summers visiting my grandparents in Jamaica and you know, we would have grapefruit trees, ackee trees, callaloo growing. So we had a lot of food growing at the house and in a very like urban gardening type of environment. But that connection to food and then food being connected to community was always something I was exposed to. So my grandma's house was the house that you could show up unannounced and you would get well fed. <laughs> um, so I've always been able to find healing and relationship and community in food system spaces. And I studied that in college. I studied agriculture and natural resource management. I also did some international development work and was fortunate to be able to work with farmers in Burkina Faso. I was working with cashew farmers. I spent some time in Benin and I was doing research on yam farmers that were being impacted by climate change and migrating from the northern region to the central region in search of more arable land. Um, and I've always just been really excited about these different elements of agriculture, but also these powers at play that keep folks from having access to resources, access to technical assistance, access to funding, access to decision making. So I was noticing a lot of overlap, whether I was, you know, looking at agricultural systems in the US or abroad, that these power systems were still keeping certain communities, certain folks out of out of these spaces. And I wanted to be involved with something that was really directly connected to shifting that. And that's what excites me about Black Farmer Fund. I'm from New York, so being able to work closer to home in a context that I'm more familiar with was also something that felt important and also doing something that is really working at like the root of power. My involvement in the Black Farmer Fund has been 
Um, originally, I was uh, one of the like very, very blessed and amazing folks who uh, received funding from the Black Farmer Fund. Funding is not a, a big enough word. It's like funding and support and community and like resources, um, you know, in so many ways. It really was just like being welcomed into a community and like folks were like, we're here for you. What are your needs? How can we support? Part of that was money. Um, and part of that was just uh, skill building and technical support. Our funding approach centers integrated capital. So it's a mix of grants and loans, low interest loans ranging from 0.5 interest to, to 4%, depending on the entrepreneur's capacity to pay back. And we have this approach because we want to be able to have funding that is reparative, that responds to previous harm that, that funding vehicles have, have done. And reparative capital is a term that we, we learned from our colleague, Mark Watson. And then we also, we're not just doing funding, we're doing technical assistance. Um, so all of our businesses are supported with different types of technical services that respond to their specific needs that could be marketing, it could be business development support. We have a few collective cooperative models that have received governance support. And then we also think about interdependent networks across the food system. So we actually have a project that we're collaborating with one of our partner organizations, Northeast Farmers of Color Land Trust, that's looking at market distribution and helping to facilitate listening sessions and focus groups with Black land stewards and farmers across the Northeast to find out what are folks growing, what markets are they currently accessing, what markets do they want to access that might be more lucrative, what are the barriers to those markets, and really trying to build the foundation of what interdependent networks could look like. So if we have three farmers up in Ithaca that are all trying to get their product down to a more lucrative market in New York City, and they're all having an issue with transport, or that's a financial barrier, what would it look like if that was done collectively? Or one of the issues that a lot of our farmers experience when trying to get into larger markets like supermarkets, there are different quantity requirements that they have to be able to meet. And for a smallholder farmer, that could be challenging. So what would it look like for four or five farmers that are growing the same product in the same way to be able to collectively sell their product to a supermarket, for example? So those are the types of conversations we're having. We really center relationships at the heart of all of our work. And just wanting to be able to respond to the needs of the folks that we're supporting. So our funding is no strings attached. We don't tell folks how they have to use their money. Um, we're there to provide guidance and support as requested as needed, but we really want that self-determination to be present in the different layers of our work. It's been so amazing to to be able to be a part of that. And now I'm um, a part of the investment committee, which is tasked with the amazing responsibility of um, being able to choose the next round of folks to get funding from the Black Farmer Fund. So um, it's been really just such a beautiful process to be on that side of like receiving the support and then being able to help kind of shape and be a part of the next cohort and moving this forward has just been amazing. One of the things that I find most compelling about Black Farmer Fund's model is the way that you define risk. And what I mean by that is while more traditional investors might consider the monetary risk of making a certain investment, as I understand it, Black Farmer Fund um, instead considers what is the risk of not investing for the individuals involved, for the communities. 
And I think that is a really powerful way of disrupting the status quo in investment practices, which have done so much harm to the communities that you're trying to support. Yeah, absolutely. To really understand why our work is necessary, why alternative funding vehicles are essential to really uplifting a racially just food system, and to understand why a lot of conversations around decolonizing agriculture are happening, it's important for it to have that that racial justice lens and to really reflect on the history of agriculture in this country, acknowledging that there was a genocide of indigenous peoples and their land was forcibly stolen from them. And then this land was forcibly cultivated by enslaved Africans for multiple generations. And once blacks were free, the promise of 40 acres and a mule, that was taken away. And we see black people being chased off their land by racial terror, violence, theft, not having the same access to financial support and subsidies because of discriminatory lending practices, higher interest rates, loans, lack of legal and financial resources to support them in defending their land. And as a direct result of that, the amount of farms owned by Black farmers in the U.S. went from 14% in 1910 to less than 2% today. And when we think of land ownership in the U.S., 98% of rural land is in the hands of white folks. So this decline of Black and Brown and Indigenous farmers, it's a direct connection to this historical context. And it also represents a disconnect from history and cultural practices. And it also connects to the fact that a lot of our communities don't have readily access to, to fresh food. And that's connected to the disproportionate health disparities that we see with communities of color that was extremely vivid with the the recent COVID crisis. So all of these things are connected and that's why power is like a big part of it. And power, it's beautiful power. It's power that's shared. It's power that's collective. It's power that's decentralized, building community and networks and interdependence. And that's really the heart of what we're doing because we, we work collaboratively with other organizations that are values aligned because we're trying not to be in competition with each other because that's the divide and conquer that white supremacy wants us to have. And then also when it comes to our investees, we, we try to intentionally build relationship amongst them. We have community work days where our investees can host work days where other farmers that receive funding, farmers from the investment committee can come and support with a big project that normally would take maybe that farmer a whole week, but we can get it done in two days, such as a greenhouse build or transplanting or or weeding. And those those types of activities are, yes, to help with capacity on the land, but also just to build relationship and to, to learn and connect and exchange with each other. I mean, I think Mel said it beautifully, you know, land and our connection to land via agriculture, herbalism you know, um, land tending is really the, in my opinion, like the root of our power, the root of anyone's power. And so um, finding ways to reclaim that power and to build these systems so that we can, um, you know, once again, determine how we're going to grow our food and the ways in which we're going to tend the land and, and what our relationship with the land is going to be is giving Black folks back their power. You know, there's so many, there's so many problems, but I feel like the connection with land is the solution or holds the answers to to all the solutions we need. So I feel like it's mm-hmm. just, just everything. I think to me as a land steward, I guess I use those words because 
you know, I just consider myself like in this ever evolving, amazing relationship with the land um, that I am 100% the student of the land. And so, you know, stewarding and that I'm just trying to like figure out how to nurture that relationship, learn from the land, and then to be able to do my best to care for it in a way that is, you know, reciprocal and nurturing for myself, for the land, for the plants, for the animals, for everyone, everyone um, who would you know, depends on the land for life. You know, this is a relationship as old as time. And I feel like, um, you know, like as a black woman, this is like something that's so ancestral, so embedded in my DNA, but literally for, you know, every single human on earth, it's the same thing. (laughs) You know, it's literally like, this is, this is how we're here. This is how we're alive. And so I feel, you know, there's been so much, um, through the process of the continuing ongoing process of colonization that um, has purposely disconnected us from that and particularly um, disconnected black and brown folks, queer and trans folks, like women. And so, you know, being able to take that back, to reclaim that, I think, again, it is the source of our power, um, but it's also this like really incredible way to fight against all these systems of oppression that that colonization has imposed on all of us and such a beautiful way to honor the legacy of our ancestors who you know if they didn't hold these relationships to land none of us would be here i wonder if you can reflect on this issue of relationships with the land in the context of the history that melanie mentioned earlier um that is the theft of what is now american land from indigenous people by the settlers who then brought enslaved Africans over to cultivate it. How do you contend with the complexities of this settler colonial context? It's so tricky because obviously we're on stolen land. This is this is not the land of my ancestors. I, I just, again, through the assistance of the Black Farmer Fund, was able to purchase a house and with it, my little land that I turned into a community garden. And like even just the thought of ownership of land it just goes against my core and like, like who I am and what feels right. But knowing that I have to work within the system that I'm in, unfortunately. (laughs) And so, you know, for me, it's just about being able to like bring the community in and to make sure that like any, like if there's a piece of land that I can steward, that I can like share that with my community. And I feel like, um, you know, that's like the little, I just have to really like zoom into the, like the microcosm because, you know, when I'm thinking about the, the, the big grander issues, um, it does start to feel like, oh my gosh, what can I do? And so <laughs> I'm just like, okay, let's like zoom in. And I have like this acre of land and, um, you know, do I believe in like land ownership? No, I don't. And so what can I do is I can open it up to like the BIPOC folks in my community to come and like also participate in stewarding this land and helping to make decisions and shape it. And, um, you know, I know there's like so many different ways to kind of like go about grappling with that, like policy work and, and like so many things, but that's like, that's like the little piece that I can handle. <laughs> yeah, I think this issue of land ownership is really such an interesting one. Um, while I was preparing for this interview, Isabella, who's FFJ's other co-founding editor, sent me a chapter from the book Black Food Matters, Racial Justice in the Wake of Food Justice. 
And in this chapter, Brian Williams and Tyler McCreary explain the shortcomings and pitfalls of relying on what they call a politics of state recognition, so things such as land ownership, um, to address legacies of anti-Black dispossession. And I think essentially their argument is about how individualized and racialized logics of capitalism ingrained into the American systems of legal recognition can really serve to undermine more radical approaches to black liberation. And their assertion is that real justice won't be achieved within these systems or through the normalization of private property. And so they suggest that black farmers should draw inspiration from quote, more collective attempts at spatial autonomy and economic self-determination, unquote, um, from the U.S. and also around the world. And I guess I see your attempt to make your sort of individually owned land a space of collective stewardship, and of course, more broadly, Black Farmer Fund's commitment to communities and relationships is very much aligned with this aspiration. But of course, as you say, it's nearly impossible to break out of the kind of crushing capitalist systems in which we exist. But I guess the first step toward this more collective approach, uh, even if it has to involve in some ways private ownership, um, can then be collectivized exactly in the ways that, that you mention of who you bring onto the land, who you share the responsibility of stewarding it uh, with and, and um, putting the community above the individual, even um, when it comes to privately owned land. So I think you've given us a pretty clear idea of how Black Farmer Fund operates and the value of your work. But one thing I would love for you to clarify is how you conceptualize Black agricultural systems. Your website says you are committed to nurturing Black community wealth and health by investing in Black agricultural systems. And so I'd just love to hear from you, what is your vision for these systems and how are they different from the current system? Yeah, when I think of Black agricultural systems, I think about healing and I think about legacy. Our, our current agricultural system is large-scale agriculture that is monoculture, where you know, we're focused on growing corn or focused on growing soy, and that's extremely harmful for the environment. Um, it also has huge implications for, for climate. 25% of our greenhouse emissions come from monocultural practices, and a lot of our historical ways of, of growing is, is more in relationship with the environment when we're thinking about intercropping and planting different things at the same time because they're, they're in relationship with each other and they support each other or rotational cropping. And a lot of those practices have been challenged by colonization, have been challenged by monoculture. And being able to reclaim this has huge implications for not only our relationship with food, but also for the environment. Um, and one of the things that I really appreciate about the work of Black Farmer Fund and really just being part of this larger movement building space is food sovereignty and self-determination for, for Black folks to have say in what food is grown, how it's grown, what markets it gets to. Because when we think about so many of the communities of color in the U.S., they're intentionally divested where you don't even have access to a lot of the food that is culturally appropriate and healthy. So being able to have more ownership along the different actors of the food system is really the, the intention of Black Farmer Funds, that there is this self-determination that is possible for, for more communities of color. 
Yeah, I think the connection between Black foodways and Black agriculture is really interesting and came through quite strongly in some of the Black Farmers Thriving videos that you have on your website. Um, And they're really great. I would encourage listeners to go and watch them as well. Um, Before I let you go, I would love to hear what's next. What does 2023 hold for Black Farmer Fund? Yeah, something exciting going on is that we're expanding our our funding and support from New York to the larger Northeast. So Black farmers, food actors in Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Vermont, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania will all be eligible. And we also have a rapid response fund that responds to emergency situations that Black food actors are experiencing where they can receive up to $10,000. This can go towards a fire, a drought, an insect infestation that ruined all your crops, um, because we really want to be able to respond to emerging needs that can't be responded to in our larger funding process that that takes a longer amount of time. Um, And yeah, we're really excited because, you know, for our pilot phase, we were able to give eight farmers, eight herbalists, $50,000 in grant capital and we're really committed to not underfunding folks. So the checks are going to be bigger for our next round of funding. So we really want to be able to be more responsive to entrepreneurs' needs. And 50K is a drop in the bucket when you think of how much it costs to actually manage a, a farm, farm operation business or a food-related business. We're getting ready for our next cycle of funding. And we're in the middle of a $20 million raise. Um, so if folks want to get involved and learn more about how you can support then you can visit our website and you can also email invest at blackfarmerfund.com to get more information. It was such a pleasure to have this opportunity to speak with Melanie Allen and Amanda David about Black Farmer Fund. If you would like to learn more or invest, I've included a link to the Black Farmer Fund website in the show notes. I've also included some information about Amanda David's initiative, Rootwork Herbals, which I also encourage you to check out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Feminist Food Stories. This episode is part of our Earth Issue, and you can read and listen to everything this issue has to offer on our Substack. Earlier in the episode, you heard a short clip of Dr. Alice Raglan reading from her piece, More Radical Than It May Seem, which tackles many of the same issues as this podcast. Audio versions of many of our pieces are available for paid subscribers, so if you'd like to gain access to those, as well as other bonus content, consider becoming a supporter. If you like what you're hearing and reading, please also consider sharing FFJ with a friend. We're so grateful for your support, and hope you'll tune in next time.